I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pitt finally did it. They finally beat North Carolina. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. I'm your host, Corey Cohen. And in this episode, we're going to be talking uh, a little bit later about uh, pit basketball. I'm going to be doing my uh, football rankings. I'll hit on uh, pit volleyball and, of course, name a Panther of the Week. But first, we have to talk about pit football, getting the monkey off their back, so to speak. That's what uh, Narduzzi, at least, uh, accepted that characterization of it. Pitt had never beaten North Carolina since they joined the ACC back in 2013. And I, I got to be honest, I really didn't think that they were going to do it this year. I Heading into the game, I thought maybe 50-50 chance. But as the game went on, it just felt like yet another Pitt-UNC game. A game where Pitt would play well, the refs would have some bad calls, and North Carolina would come storming back in the fourth quarter, Pitt would blow it, and UNC would win with just a couple of minutes left. That's what it felt like. And it didn't happen. The pitting that we're that we're all used to, they didn't pit. It's astounding, and this is becoming a regular for this team. They bend, and it looks like they're going to pit, and it feels like they're pitting, and then they just don't do it. They find a way to win, and because of that, they're now seven and three on the season. So they're in a pretty great spot, and it's amazing that they found a way to win that game because Pitt always seems to find a way to lose games certainly against North Carolina, but this time they found a way to win it, or at least they didn't find a way to lose it, I should say that, because it almost felt like they were trying to blow it. It felt like pitting was inevitable, and I certainly felt down the stretch that there was no way that Pitt was going to get out of that game with a win because of destiny or something. It, it just didn't seem like it was going to happen, but they broke the curse, the curse that we didn't know what it was. We didn't know, well, maybe North Carolina was just better than Pitt, But then, no, that couldn't be it. Maybe it was Ryan Switzer, and then he leaves, and they still win. And we realized Larry Fedora. Larry Fedora was the curse. Larry Fedora was the dark magic at play. And once he left, Pitt is able to beat UNC. Now, I don't think it's ever going to be easy. And certainly moving forward, it's not going to be easy because Sam Howell, the freshman quarterback for the Tar Heels, is really good. So Pitt's going to have a tough time with him the next few years. But it's at least possible for the Panthers to beat North Carolina, which it was not possible under Larry Fedora. It just was not going to happen. And I didn't think it was going to happen in this game. Pitt had a two-touchdown lead, and nobody felt comfortable. I I was tweeting this during the game. Pitt, when they took that two-touchdown lead, I put it out. Does anybody feel good about this? Does anybody think that Pitt can hold on to this? And no one thought that. There was not a single person who felt comfortable with a two-touchdown lead, nor should they have, and it was proven very quickly after that it would have been insane to feel comfortable with a two-touchdown lead because North Carolina scored two touchdowns in 90 seconds to tie it up. So it certainly felt like Pitt was trying to pit, uh, that they were, were going to uh, pit again against North Carolina, 
and they found they found a way to win, or at least they didn't find a way to lose. And give this team credit because that is something that was never the case with Pitt, and it is now. This year there have been a bunch of games. They're basically all ugly. You never feel good after them, but they find a way to win. And in the past, Pitt would always find a way to lose. I was so sure they would blow it. When when the Panthers, they, they went down the field, I did not think there was any chance they would get a touchdown. They didn't. This was uh, relatively late in the fourth quarter. And they settled for a field goal. And I thought it was painfully obvious that UNC was going to march down the field, take a few minutes to do it, and score a touchdown to win the game with, I said about a minute, a minute 20 to go. I thought it would be around there. That's when UNC would take the lead and never look back. Well, they almost did it. And I I think feeling that way was not unfounded. I think there were a lot of good reasons to believe that was going to happen. But at the end, Pitt found a way to stop the Tar Heels from doing that. They held them to a field goal. They brought them into overtime. Now, it's not ideal if they let UNC march all the way down the field, but not allowing North Carolina to win the game in the fourth quarter as we all thought was coming, that's that's big because Pitt had not done that before against UNC. And pretty much, I mean, in most of these games up until this year, Pitt hadn't done that. There were a couple clutch games uh, but that they found ways to win but a lot of times in these grounded out, grinded out games, they would find ways to lose. And this game, that did not happen. They held North Carolina to a field goal. They brought it to overtime. And then they had some pretty clutch offense. And uh, the defense still really good. And so they, they just found ways to do it. Pitt didn't pit. They actually beat North Carolina. And I give them a ton of credit because there was some dark magic at play. And maybe it was Larry Fedora, maybe the dark magic's still there, and they just overcame it. I don't know what happened, but I know the pit beat UNC. And uh, if to do that, you get a bunch of credit. So let's talk about the actual game. Kenny Pickett, he had a phenomenal game. I'm not going to say a career game, because he beat second-ranked Miami, and he's had some some really excellent games. He beat UCF, stuff like that. But this is one of his great games. And Kenny Pickett, it's tough to get a read on him. The past couple games, it looked like he wasn't the guy. It looked like, yeah, he's, he's fine, but he's not great. And then he comes out in this game, and wow, he was excellent. Now, inside the numbers, if you take a look at the numbers, Kenny Pickett, 25 for 41, 359 yards, a touchdown, on the ground, 12 rushes for 53 yards, two touchdowns, and oh yeah, he had the game-winning touchdown in overtime. He had a phenomenal game, and he willed the Panthers to victory. I mean, the defense was great, of course, but Kenny Pickett willed them to victory. And even at 25 for 41, he had a better game than that. There were a handful of passes that were drops, because that just always seems to be the case. But I can't remember a single play in that game where you would mention, oh, that was a bad throw. Oh, Kenny Pickett should have made that throw. His throws were on point. They were on target. And he had an excellent game, and he was a true leader. He was a really good quarterback, and he was a true leader. And that's what you want to see from Kenny Pickett. I think it's what a lot of people thought they were going to see at this point from Kenny Pickett. And we finally did see that. He had an excellent game. He was... He showed the ability to run. 
Not that you're going to have to do it, not that you're Lamar Jackson, but that if a play breaks down, if there's some open space, you go and you try to get a first down or make it a second and short or get into the end zone in overtime. He found ways to do it. And when there was a, a clutch uh, performance, a third down and long in overtime, he found a way to connect. He just found ways to get it done. And so Kenny Pickett deserves a ton of credit because he really came into his own in this game. And you can only hope that that's going to continue, that he's going to keep this up and that this wasn't another time when you see one good game from him and then maybe two just okay games. You've got to hope that this is the beginning of of a pretty remarkable run for him of being a really good starting quarterback because that's what he was in this game. He was a really good starting quarterback and he willed that team to victory. And so huge credit to Kenny Pickett. Uh, two other players, I mean, he didn't do it alone. Shockey Jacques-Louis and Taysir Mack had great games. They looked excellent. Taysir Mack, six receptions for 83 yards. Shockey Jacques-Louis, four receptions for 104 yards. He had a touchdown as well. Uh, he was uh, banged up to start the season. I've been uh, begging for him to get on the field because from what I saw of him last year, he seemed like a playmaker, and that's what he is. He just finds ways to make plays. He's remarkably athletic, and I think he can do uh, a lot of damage for this team. And then Taysier Mack, he had another good game without Maurice French, the other main wide receiver who was out for this game, and Mack stepped it up. And in that, as I just mentioned, that third and long in overtime, when it felt... Because even once, even though Pitt stopped UNC from winning it in regulation, it still absolutely felt like it was going to be a North Carolina win, just in overtime. And it, it felt like Pitt was going to come out, put up nothing on offense, maybe get a field goal, maybe miss the field goal, who knows. And then UNC would find a way to win it in overtime. Well, it certainly felt like that after two plays, because there were two bad plays to start overtime. And it was a third and long, and they had to get it done. And Kenny Pickett to Taysier Mack, I believe it was third and 15, and they got 16 yards. And that's huge. So those wide receivers, they stepped it up. The tight ends were better, still a problem, but the receiving has been an issue. It has not been all Kenny Pickett's fault that the run game has not really been there this year. But this game, they all stepped it up. Kenny Pickett stepped it up, but the receivers did. Mack and Jacques-Louis were big time. Clutch plays from Mac, huge plays from Jacques-Louis. This is going to be, if they can keep it up, then that, that offense can really do something if they get the running game going. Uh, they did get one uh, big touchdown from A.J. Davis. Outside of that, it was just Kenny Pickett on the ground for the most part. Uh, a couple, uh, you know, nice jet sweeps and stuff to uh, to Valique Carter. Uh, but, you know, you are going to need a strong passing game. And Taysier Mack showed he can do it in big spots. Shockey Jacques-Louis showed he could do it uh, with some great playmaking ability. Those guys keep it up, then you've you've got a real, real shot there. So between Pickett, Mack, Jacques-Louis, they had huge games. The downside for the offense, still the running game is not there. I mentioned A.J. Davis, 19 yards, 58 carries, or excuse me, 19 carries, 58 yards, one touchdown, uh, you know, solid game, but nothing much there. Uh, Vincent Davis, just one carry for six yards. Uh, Valique Carter, still just sort of a specialist. And then Todd Sibley, still injured. Between, I, I think it's the Davises. I think both of them have to really step it up. A.J. Davis looked decent in this game. I think he's got to do a little bit more. I think Vincent Davis has to do a lot more. 
but still not much of a run game. And once they get into the red zone, I don't know what happens. I don't know if it's Mark Whipple. I don't know. I don't know. But the in, the entire offense changes. They become remarkably conservative. Everything slows down. They don't go for the passing plays. They just run the ball. They have a couple conservative plays, and that's it. And that that kills them. I mean, when they get into the red zone, you can almost guarantee it's going to be a field goal. If they can have a big play outside of that, then yeah, they they might be able to get a touchdown. But once they're in the uh, the red zone, they play conservatively, and it hurts them. And so that's a big-time problem, and that's something that Mark Whipple, he can break out some big plays, but in the red zone, he can't just lock it down and, and play conservatively. He's still got to go for it, and they did not do that. They didn't do it late in the fourth quarter when Pitt could have taken a touchdown lead, and I think everybody would have felt a lot better uh, when UNC got the ball with four minutes and changed to play. Instead, they just sort of settled for that field goal, and they got the three points, and that ended up taking it to overtime, and it was certainly the right decision to take the field goal when it was fourth down, but those first three downs, they did not do enough, and they've got to do more in the red zone. Uh, and then you talk about the defense. The defense played well. They gave up just 27 points to North Carolina. It, it was uh, a really good performance from Howell, but they were able to limit him. They were able to bring the pressure. They did get an interception. And uh, and all that was without DeMar Hamlin for the entirety of the second half and overtime on an ejection call, a targeting call, that was ridiculous. He was going for the ball. He absolutely should not have been ejected. And... They were without him. Now, the positive thing is it happened just before halftime, which means that he just would miss the rest of the game, and that's it. Whereas if that happened a minute into the second half, he would have missed that entire time plus the first half of next week's game. So at least it happened in the first half and late in the first half. But still, he should not have been ejected, and they did all of what they did in the second half and in overtime without one of, if not arguably, their best defensive player. I mean, he's certainly one of their defensive players, and they did it without him. And so a big credit to the defense for stepping up and uh, really impressing. They continue to impress. They're one of the best defenses in the country, and it doesn't look like they're slowing down. Again, this has been uh, a remarkable run for, for Pat Narduzzi, for Randy Bates. I mean, this is what we sort of thought they were going to be, and they are. They're 11th in the nation in total defense. They're still first in the nation in, in sacks, 10th in tackles for a loss, 7th in running defense, and 12th in third down conversions. This defense is legit. They still show it, and as long as they continue to show it, even if the running game is not there on offense, even if the receivers drop some balls, you can win games because of that defense, and, and it's really a great style of football defensively. The offense can still be ugly at times, but defensively, this is still a really good team. There are some dumb mistakes. There's some, for the most part, though, they look really good. They're talented, but they play remarkably hard. They play like you want Aaron Donald, you know, like Aaron Donald when he was there. They play like uh, Hugh Green. They play fierce football. And uh, it's it's really great to see. So huge credit to the defense for playing another great game. And then what's next? Well, what's next is Virginia Tech. And this is another program that Pitt seems to have troubles with. Now, they're not unbeatable. Pitt has beaten them. But it's always tough. And Virginia Tech this year is going to come into this game ranked. Should they be ranked? Mm, probably not. 
I certainly don't think they should be ranked ahead of Pitt. I think there's a, a huge bias in favor of, uh, of ranking Virginia Tech. And I don't even know why. I don't think – it's not like Virginia Tech is a big-time media school that has a lot of writers in the AP who do the rankings. I, I honestly don't think it's that. I think it's just Virginia Tech was good for so long that – they sort of just became synonymous with, oh yeah, that that's a top 25 team, that's a top 25 program. And so anytime they're in that vicinity, they rank the Hokies. But I certainly think Pitt deserved that spot more than Virginia Tech. But the good news is, if you're the Panthers, you've got all the chance in the world to go out and be ranked if you win this game. And if you win this game, then you get uh, a, a very crucial uh, eighth win. And that would be huge, considering I thought seven wins was the goal, and at this point in the season, seven wins is fine. But if you want everyone, universally, to look back and say that was a good season, at the least, if not maybe a very good season, you've got to get to eight wins. And yeah, maybe you can do it against Boston College, but you've got a great opportunity against Virginia Tech. And it's going to be a big-time game. They announced it's going to kick off at 3.30, uh, in Blacksburg, enter Sandman, the whole thing. It's going to be a tough atmosphere, and they're coming off a huge win against Georgia Tech. Not a good team this year, but the defense did not allow a single point. The week before that, they had a big per- big performance against Wake Forest when Wake was ranked. That was a 36-17 to victory. And the week before that, they nearly beat Notre Dame on the road. Again, not a great team, but a good team. And uh, so, yeah, this this Virginia Tech team is tough. And they did lose to Boston College. They did lose to Duke. But this this is still a very good Virginia Tech team, and it's going to be a tough game. But if Pitt wants to be ranked, if Pitt wants to get to eight wins, if Pitt wants all these things, if they want a chance at the, the ACC championship game, you've got to get this win. And so I, I do sort of feel like a broken record week in, week out. I'm saying this game is remarkably important. This is the most important game of the year. I, I don't. I'm not going to call this the most important game of the year. But it is very important, and there is a lot riding on it, and it it could change how the season is perceived. I don't think it's going to change how the season goes, because after that game, there's just one game left. I think if you're talking about changing the way that the season goes, I think the turning point was probably somewhere either Duke on the road or Syracuse on the road. Those, those were probably the ones where if you lose either of those games, maybe things sort of take a turn turn poorly but I do think this is a a, there's so much riding on this game and it's not unforgivable if Pitt loses this one but they've put themselves in such a good position finding ways to win finding ways to beat Duke to beat Syracuse uh, to beat North Carolina in overtime beating UCF in the non-conference they can do this it's going to be really tough but they can do this and it's right in front of them and so for their their sake, I hope they do it because they certainly have the ability to do it. And if they do, if they pull it off, they're going to get a lot of national respect. They're going to be ranked and and people are going to be talking about the Panthers. And then they've got a chance to then finish as a ranked team, maybe with a ninth win against Boston College. There's still a lot to play for. Uh, if, if you're the Panthers, and it's all going to start this weekend. So big-time game this weekend, and we'll see what happens. But we'll be uh, we'll be wrapping it up 
on uh, on the other end of it with a new episode next Monday. For now, we'll take a brief break, and then we'll come back uh, talking about my uh, my football rankings and then going into pit basketball. Stay with us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, we are back. Uh, So I've been doing uh, lately my rankings first for uh, college football as a whole across the nation and then for the ACC. So starting with my top 10 in the nation, not much movement this week, and I'll explain why. So first, LSU, number one. Second, I'm going to move Clemson up to number two. I think just looking at it, they... They are dominant, and they're the national champs, so I am going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And they just crushed Wake Forest, a good Wake Forest team. They crushed the Deeks this past weekend, 52-3. to So I'm going to give Clemson the benefit of the doubt over Ohio State, a team uh, that's certainly great. Um, but uh, they did allow 21 against uh, Rutgers. And yeah, they still won fifty six to twenty one. But if you allow three touchdowns against Rutgers, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll see when they face uh, tougher opponents. They've got Penn State this weekend at Michigan the next weekend. I still think they finish undefeated. They could very well finish number two in my rankings. I still think they'll be number two in uh, in the rankings that matter. But I'm gonna go Ohio State number three, Clemson number two. Uh, fourth is gonna be Georgia. Um, I I think they're in a really good spot. Fifth is going to be Alabama. Without Tua, they might continue to drop, but for now, the only loss to uh, to LSU, so I've got Bama fifth. Uh, sixth, I'm going to go Florida. I know right now I believe they're 10th in the AP. We'll see what they are in the playoff rankings. I know they've lost two games, but the two games they've lost were to two of the best teams in the country. LSU, who I've got as the number one team, Georgia as the number four team, which those are their rankings in the AP as well. So I don't know how the AP can look at that and say, well, you only lost to number one and number four, but because it's two losses, we've got to have you at 10. No, no, screw that. I've got them at six because the only teams they've lost to are phenomenal teams, and they've gotten big wins. Uh, they they To start the season, they beat Miami, and uh, then, of course, they beat uh, Auburn in, in a big game. And so I'm going to go Florida number six, then seven, this is the weird one. I'm going to go Auburn. Uh, they're 16th in the AP rankings after moving down this week uh, when they lost to Georgia. But I got to tell you, I, I can't, similar to Florida, I can't knock them for losing to one of the top four best teams in the country. Because when I look at Auburn, yes, it's three losses. And so, yeah, you look at the records and you're not going to have a team with three losses in the top 10 or anywhere near the top 10. But who'd they lose to? They lost to LSU, they lost to Florida, and they lost to Georgia. Those, again, in my opinion, three of the best six teams in the country. And they've still got to win over Oregon. They've still got to win over Texas A&M. So I'm going to go Auburn even with three losses. They'll be at seven. They beat Oregon, so I can't have Oregon ahead of them, especially because the Ducks haven't really beaten anyone either. So I'll go Oregon eight. I'll go Utah nine, both uh, Pac-12 teams, and we'll likely see them duke it out. And then I'll go Oklahoma 10. I've got Penn State probably at 11. 
if they beat Ohio State, then yeah, for sure, they're a top 10 team. But they're coming off two bad weeks. They they lost to Minnesota, a team that then lost to Iowa. So Minnesota, it's not like they're some juggernaut. And then they almost lost to Indiana, a team that's not that good. And that was a home game. That was in State College. So I don't think Penn State's worthy of top 10, just like I don't think Minnesota's worthy of top 10. They're both one-loss teams. In fact, if any team was worthy of top 10, I would say it would be Minnesota because they've got the win over Penn State. But right now, I don't think any of them are worth top 10 because the Big Ten is not that good outside of Ohio State. Wins against Michigan or Iowa, they don't look that good. And so... I'm going to say both Penn State and Minnesota, and for the record, Michigan, outside of my top 10. Uh, Baylor's certainly not there. Notre Dame's not there. So uh, to me, it's a pretty clear top 10, and we'll see what happens this week, but those are my top 10. As for the ACC, we do King of the Hill rankings. Uh, Anson does them on CardiacHill.com. I'm going to go, obviously, Clemson number one. Then number two, I'm going to go to Virginia. I I still think they look really good, and uh, until they prove otherwise you know they, they did have a tough game against Georgia Tech but until they prove otherwise uh, the only games they've lost were uh, Notre Dame a close one against Miami and a close one at Louisville so I'm gonna go Virginia number two I'm gonna go Pitt number three yeah they're ugly but they keep finding ways to win I've got Pitt at number three I'm gonna go Virginia Tech at number four just slightly behind Pitt I think Virginia Tech's playing better right now but that's what this weekend's all about. So I'll go Pitt 3, Virginia Tech 4, and the ACC should be an exciting uh, game this weekend. And then I'll go Miami 5. I think Miami's played a lot better as of late. They just crushed Louisville. Uh, of course, they beat Pitt. They lost to Georgia Tech in overtime in a close game. Uh, they played Florida close to start the season. So I'll go Miami 5. But all of a sudden, everyone was talking about in the ACC, the Atlantic is the better division. It's starting to look like the Coastal's the better division. Now, there's not a dominant team like Clemson or before that Florida State, but I think top to bottom, it, it's the Coastal. I mean, Georgia Tech is, is really bad, and Duke, the wheels are falling off, but UNC is a good team. Miami's a good team. Pitt, Virginia Tech, good teams. Virginia, good teams. This is a, a deep division, and no one's great, but there are a lot of there are a lot of good football teams. So those are my rankings. Now, on to Pitt basketball. Uh, won't talk too long about them. Uh, we'll, we'll go into far greater detail moving forward. But there's one thing that has been plaguing me and, and plaguing this team. So this past week, they beat Robert Morris in a game at RMU to open up their brand new UPMC event center. It looks gorgeous. They got the win. It was pretty comfortable, but they did struggle early. And then they lost to West Virginia at home. And the thing that really stood out in those games is... Xavier Johnson, because this is a guy who came into this season who was supposed to have a great year, who maybe was going to get talk about getting drafted into the NBA, who maybe was going to get all conference honors, and he has just not looked good. I don't know where he is. I don't. Last year, he was the leader of the team, and this year, I just don't know. He had seven points against Robert Morris, a team in the Northeast Conference that he should have like 20 points against. He had seven. For most of the game, he was absent. And then he had four points against West Virginia. To, to be the leader of your team, that's unacceptable. And it's going to be a major problem if Pitt falls back, if Xavier Johnson falls back to just a decent player. Because then that's going to bring all of Pitt back. Even if Trey McGowan steps up, even if some other guys step up, it's got to run through Xavier Johnson. He's got to be your best player, if not 
a, a close second best player, and he is not showing that. So I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know what happened this offseason. I'm going to continue to monitor it, and we'll talk about it in greater detail moving forward. But Xavier Johnson had a bad week. He has not looked good yet this season, and you've got to hope he turns it around because if he doesn't, it's going to be really tough for Pitt basketball to win as many games as they were hoping to win entering this season. But we'll talk more about Pitt basketball moving forward. And also, if you want sort of a preview, and and even though it's a little bit later, just a breakdown of this team, of the players on the team, check out last week's episode. I had uh, Craig Meyer on the podcast, the beat writer for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He's a wealth of knowledge on this team, and we sort of went down the entire roster, and so you'll get uh, some great knowledge if you listen to last week's episode. Uh, And then uh, before we wrap up, Pitt Volleyball, they clinched the uh, solo ACC regular season championship. Now, they had clinched it last week, but it could have been a share, but they went on the road. They beat Duke. That was a big win. They are guaranteed to be the champs, not co-champs, to be the champs of the ACC regular season for a third year in a row. They're going to try to do big things in the ACC tournament, and then, of course, the NCAA tournament. Keep an eye on them. They're doing great things. They're back-to-back-to-back now in the ACC regular season, and it's going to be really exciting as we get in the later part of November and then moving forward for the NCAA tournament to see what this team can accomplish. But it's uh, Pitt Volleyball is in a really exciting place right now. And then Panther of the Week, a lot of options here. I've got to go Kenny Pickett, though. He had one of his best performances as a Pitt Panther. He stepped it up. He put the team on his back. And he got the win against North Carolina. He broke the streak. He had a big-time performance. That run in the end zone in overtime was incredibly clutch. And that showed a lot of fortitude. Kenny Pickett, Panther of the Week, for really stepping it up. And again, you can only hope that he continues that moving forward. Okay, so that is it for this episode of Unscripted. I uh, want to thank you all so much for listening. Again, we are a part of the SB Nation network of podcasts, so you can find us anywhere that you listen to your podcast. Search for Cardiac Hill, and you'll find us. Uh, and please subscribe to the podcast. That helps us, and it helps you, because then you don't have to think about downloading episodes. They go right to your phone or whatever, and then you can listen to them whenever you get the chance. But again, we'll be putting out new episodes uh, every Monday after the Virginia Tech game next week. We'll have a lot to talk about, and you can check it out anywhere you listen to podcasts or on CardiacHill.com. We'll always be posting there. Again, thank you so much for listening. If you've got any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to tweet me. I'm at Corey E. Cohen, C-O-R-E-Y-E-C-O-H-E-N. And again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Corey Cohen, signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill Podcast.